0: I'm ready to go into the danger zone. And does the volleyball game qualify as metrosexual? I refuse to believe that was homoerotic until maybe like two years ago. That's how deep I was into Top Gun. I don't think it can be called metrosexual. I think that's, a, that's an understatement.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm Rob. And I'm Artie. And welcome to Planning, a podcast that tries to make sense of international trade, business, and expat life without putting you to sleep.
2: On today's episode, we'll talk about inflation, Elon Musk, supply chains, and China, like always. And a little later, we'll be speaking to Lars Carlson from Maersk on whether the supply chain nightmare is real or just hype.
0: That's a, That's a queen song.
2: <laughs> it's longer, but yeah, it is. And as always, we'll have the usual listener feedback and news roundup.
0: So without further ado, let's get into it. Well, everybody, welcome to episode 33, the atomic number of arsenic. It's a solid chemical element that is used, especially in wood preservatives, alloys, and semiconductors, and is extremely toxic in pure and combined forms. Finally, it's also an element that we're sort of familiar with. As far as I know, it, it's lethal. And old ladies use it to kill each other. I thought that was femaldehyde. I didn't read the whole book. I thought that was femaldehyde. Yeah, they oh, did that too. Well, that also goes in beer. Anyway, the... wood an preservative. In what? Beer. Arsenic. Oh no, I'm thinking formaldehyde. Yeah, anyway, yeah. <laughs> I hope it's not. There's a bitter taste. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, very
2: peaceful.
0: Uh Did you hear that the Top Gun sequel was out? Mm-hmm. Listeners will be happy to know that I risked more brain trauma by going to see it in IMAX on opening day. What does this have to do with trade? Well, I'm glad you asked. What does this have to do with trade? Artie? I'm about to tell you. <laughs> please, please go ahead. So COVID delayed it by a year. So I guess. We can blame COVID and/or supply chains on why it didn't come out uh, last year, but it is here. And I just want you to know that Tom Cruise. I want to know what he's practicing to look like that at six years old. Because I'm, I'm ready for it. I'll have what he's having. So a little bit of arsenic. Yeah. I'm good with drinking baby blood or whatever he does. <laughs> whatever back home say that he's Oops. into. Yeah. Andronacrine, something like that. Well, I think he, like almost everybody we see on screen, he is a, a mutant. He's a genetic freak. Whatever he's doing, it, it's working. And I'm I'm ready to try it before I buy it. So I'll do like the one month trial. And did your doctor recommend you go to an IMAX movie for your recovery? He did not. He said, try it and <laughs> see what happens. Did you ask? I did. I did. Because, you know, it's like a big thing. I saw IMAX 3D and that really messed me up. But this IMAX was just without the 3D glasses. Uh-huh. And it was okay. I'm alive. You I tried think. IMAX 3D since the brain thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did that a, like a couple of weeks ago, and that was a no-no. <laughs> and then I said, what, well, what can go wrong? Let's just try another IMAX. <laughs> Let's try a bigger IMAX. This one was okay, but after two hours, I was still a little woozy. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I also want to know why we always get TS replies to our email account as uh, Dear Adrian. Yeah, who is that kid? I don't know who he is, but, you know, it's like when you send somebody an email and you sign it, Ardian and Rob, and you get back Dear Adrian. I'm glad Adrian's back, uh-huh. personally. I mean, the guy, we've missed the guy.
2: This is my uh, alter ego since the accident. So this week was also a big week for me. I didn't go to the movie theater. <laughs> Did anybody ask? I didn't know there was movie theaters anymore. So that's really, that's important to know. They're back. I was on a, I was on a panel, which is something kind of like a movie, uh, kind of like a movie theater. It's very uh-huh. entertaining. And uh, somebody asked me if I wanted to include the podcast in my bio, but I said no because I, I haven't asked permission yet
1: you have permission
2: it was kind of michelle i was wondering if i if i should ask but also my employer <laughs> uh, it's, it's, i think i should ask them i think it's isn't there like a after 32 episodes it's kind of assumed to be okay i mean nobody said anything yet
0: yeah and they're not listening <laughs> <laughs> Well then, we'll get right into this episode's what went wrong this Week" segment. So first up, we have our personal heroes, Sheryl Sandberg, Elon Musk, and the rest of the tech utopian mafia. So tech is melting down, or at least that's what the script says, and uh, also long live tech. So Sheryl Sandberg is leaving meta because, I don't
2: know why. So yes, tech is melting down, already. thanks a lot for that. Sheryl Sandberg is leaving meta, I guess because it sucks to work there, as far as I could understand but uh, they're also losing users. Their stock value is tanking. Elon Musk has ended all remote work because it also sucks to work there and his stock price is tanking because he's buying a low-revenue social network that poisons people's minds. He just pulled out yeah. of it as we were recording this. Oh, really? Yeah, he, well, he's threatening to, but anyway. that's a- That's just a negotiating tactic. Then Amazon has massively overbuilt warehouse space. So they're firing people, their stock price is tanking. And meanwhile, everybody who thought they were going to make it big with their tech startup is now trying to look for a job in the real economy. So I, I don't know what this means for us. Could mean slightly less snappy apps. Will we be paying for email?
0: Will my Facebook account shut down and I won't have any place to find my photos from 2009? I'm just looking forward to Sheryl Sandberg's next book, Lean In, part two. How to kill democracy.
2: <laughs> Lead into big news. So I think that, I mean, let's say the, the trade aspect or the business aspect of this is there's huge amounts of value being shed by these companies. They've been buying out and, of course, you know, killing competitors. And so I think we'll see we'll see a shakeout. And those of us who have any kind of stock value, if you've got a retirement, you've got investments, you've got anything that you've been depending on stock value for, these are the guys who have been generating the value. Now mm. it's going down. Netflix. So we need to find out where the bottom of it is. Of course it was over hyped Mm. before, but I think it's it's an important time. Also they're being buffeted continually by different kinds of regulation, different kinds of competition law and so on. So I think it's a double triple kind of whammy for these guys and it
0: couldn't happen to a nicer bunch of folks. Yeah. (laughs) On that note, I mean, you mentioned that they have been really driving returns over the last 10 years. And I think that's a function of 10 plus years of easy money in the market. And then that leads itself to our next point, which is on ESG, which is another area which received a lot of hype over the past five to 10 years and is just now coming to a a reckoning. So people are realizing that maybe it's not all it's cracked up to be. The head of uh, Deutsche Banks uh, in Germany, DW They were rated. what was it, last week, I believe, because they were accused of reporting faulty ESG numbers and ratings figures. Remind people what ESG is? Environmental social governance. So basically giving investors a way to put their money into companies which are doing better by way of the environment. Turns out that this is actually not the case. So, for example, I think it was Moody's or, or Standard & Poor's recently removed Tesla from their ESG rankings. This made a big headline, but they kept Exxon in without considering the fact that maybe that they made their logo green, (laughs) (laughs) which is a big deal. No, it's June. It's a different color. Oh, that was BP. Sorry. Yeah, that was BP. So I think it raised alarms for a lot of people. And now you're seeing a lot more of these ESG funds uh, face much more scrutiny. So now, whereas oil was the bad guy, now we're seeing oil being replaced by natural gas. Uh, you're, You're seeing out of BlackRock, I think recently talking about LNG being the future. So it's is this just another rope-a-dope where they're replacing oil and making it, uh, finding a cleaner, quote unquote, solution for it? I don't know. But you're seeing a lot of these ESG funds go the way of, of Netflix. And I think that's, they're, they're very much linked. I don't know what you think. Yeah,
2: I mean, you sent me, I think, a link. I forgot what publication it was from, which was proposing a BS index. Because... So many, you know, ESG indexes have been put out, which have basically declared that almost all investments are basically sustainable. I, I saw something that said 90% of our funds are sustainable. It can't be true. The world's dying. So I think we're coming to a point where it's, the, you know, this, this kind of boosterism has hit a wall and all these different indexes are kind of self-serving. So we get to the point where somebody's going to finally ask, well, are my investments really sustainable? And there's a strong incentive to say, of course, they are. And I'm sure Exxon's doing great things. So Exxon, if you want to sponsor this segment. Clean Coal has sponsored this segment. (laughs) Drill, baby, drill. Drill, baby, drill. (laughs) And of course, as we said last week, oil's a new oil. I mean, the U.S. is really happy to be selling LNG, shipping LNG to Europe. Mm. So I think it's really a reckoning time. And investors like a generation before us don't just want to believe the stuff they're being told. They're actually looking behind the curtain. And of course, a lot of the stuff's not sustainable. How could the world be ending?
0: Well, I, I think yes and no. I think if people did a little bit more homework on these ESG funds, they could poke many more holes into it. But as you, as you talked about uh, earlier, the economy was doing so well for a decade, more or less, that people didn't really ask these tough questions. I think in a in a twist, what you're seeing at Deutsche Bank and, and others, people putting more scrutiny on these ESG funds, it, it's a way that we're hoping that actually money does find its way in the right ESG funds, right? So if we can weed out the, the bad ones, it is a way, it gives more investors more confidence in a way. But that's that's. Uh, I mean, you said the world is dying, so you didn't really leave us on a. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a, I'm over
2: slightly over
0: whatevering that. But yeah, I think you're you're exaggerating a little <laughs> bit. I think we gotta we're on life support. Not even the world ain't great. It's not yeah. great. Anyway, you know what else is not great? China's exports. So they're <laughs> so they're suffering a reversal of fortune as the world is shaking off COVID lockdowns. So we're seeing a shift, or economists are seeing a shift in, in global consumption back to services. And this is threatening China's ability to reach its growth targets, which they've already revised downwards. And so this is actually the first year in, as far as I can remember, that China is scheduled to grow at a slower pace than the US, which is shocking when you think about it. Yeah. And we so we saw China kind of win win the pandemic with additional
2: production. We were saying, you know, people were talking about different kinds of shoring. But in fact, China's exports were growing, China's production were growing, China's market share in key things was growing. And now, uh, as you say, consumption patterns are going back, but also there's many trends behind it. So China's no COVID policy, locking down Shanghai, Shenzhen, and so on, has put them in difficult position from a production standpoint. Some of the buddy shoring, near shoring, somewhere else shoring is actually having an effect, I think and as well as, as as shifting consumer behavior. So the the thing that's interesting also to think about is that that slightly lower export growth, so they grow three and a half percent, means an incredible impact there, because they said 80 to 100 million people in China work in the export sector. Mm. So that has uh, you know big ripple effect. So it could be you know, a million jobs, a couple million jobs that are lost, which for the rest of us sounds like a lot, but it's also a lot for the Chinese. and. As you said, it's also they've got a certain growth target they're trying to meet, and um, many of the policies that we've been talking about over the past a little while—not just zero COVID—have also reduced exports. Right. They've also they've also made China more expensive. They've they're trying to de-link China from certain parts of the global economy.
0: Exactly. This approach kind of makes more sense when you put in the context of this uh, dual circulation strategy. And we had uh, a guest on back in January who was talking about why, in her opinion, China won't veer from this path of, of zero COVID because they're content with this dual circulation strategy. So reshoring for lack of a better word. So it'll be interesting to see that play out. We're also seeing recently as we're recording this, that Chinese property values have started a tank even more. So China has spent the last year trying to prop up those values, and now they're seeing them take a downward spin. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. We had talked about this a few months ago, but keep an eye open for that. We're sure, I'm sure we'll be talking about that because we'll have run out of times to mention inflation. I don't think we will run out of <laughs> <laughs> our next story. You'll be happy to know we're running out of people to manage supply chain issues. So they are resigning at a record rate and the world is definitely on fire because who's going to manage the managers? So this is so. So the supply chain
2: thing has gotten so bad that people are on this, burnout. E, even the supply chain of supply chain guys are going the way of the he's, dodo is actually <laughs> it's actually stressed right now. But you can see why. I mean, they've been going through these waves of not being able to perform, not being able to, to to deliver. Also having these cascading different crises, as as you mentioned. And there's a great story in Bloomberg about this that the Great Resignation, people wondering why am I doing this, is it, hitting this profession as it has been. Mm. And I think that an example that we saw recently, that was the fact that we're reading that there's now plenty, plenty of containers. So there was a shortage of containers at some point. We've we talked a lot about that. Because like, we're, you know, we've had That was of the podcast. On. That was the base of the <laughs> podcast. We'll, we'll talk to Lars about this a little bit later, but there's so many boxes. Everybody's super happy with the number of boxes. Now they can't ship them back. They're stuck in ports hmm. because of port operations. So you got uh, stacks and stacks of empty uh, boxes sitting in Shanghai or full boxes. I don't know. But, they, but again, the supply chain manager doesn't have a lever he can pull.
0: No, no. And
2: I, it doesn't matter how much you pay. It doesn't matter the things they normally could do before they can't. So mm-hmm. you can really get a sense of why. But if there are listeners out there who are looking for a uh, steady employment.
0: Join the ranks of supply chain managers. Yeah. And I'm sure you can ask for whatever you want in terms of pay. Apparently they, not. They have nobody else. <laughs> <laughs> On this Wall Street Journal piece, I, I just uh, opened it up again, and I'm, I'm reminded that my favorite quote was from the executive director of the Port of LA, and he was talking about how importers are now bringing in cargo on a just-in-case basis rather than a just-in-time. So the last two years, we're seeing the nature of how you know companies are, are managing inventory change from having it, as, as I said, just-in-time to now having it three to six months of stock just in case and we're seeing the, the ramifications so you can't get what you're looking for, where prices go up, things like this. But I, I think my prediction, and I know I'm not, I'm not batting 100% on the prediction front, especially after that inflation outtake I had <laughs> two years ago. I will predict we'll be talking about this in a couple of months time because now, just because of what's going on in, in Shanghai with the port lockdowns and, and the containers blockages and, and things like this. So now we're saying that there's too many containers. In a couple of months we'll be talking about how there's not enough yet again. I think we'll be talking about too many bolts Let's check that with Lars. I'm sure they're building boats just in time for global recession where nobody buys anything. I want to ask him, but I saw a figure that the orders for new boats this year has actually went down dramatically. Really? Yeah, shockingly. So we'll we'll ask him about that. And then also his predictions on which boat was most likely to clog a canal this year. Basically anyone that's called ever anything. Ever (laughs) anything. Ever clog. Whatever happened to Chesapeake Bay? (laughs)
3: It's fine. It's absolutely.
0: (laughs) We've moved on. (laughs) So that about does it for what went wrong this week segment. Listeners will know that it was a lot. It was a lot, and
2: also I want, and already in your defense, Janet Yellen admitted she was
0: wrong on this whole inflation thing. So I think you can. So I can be treasury secretary is what you're saying? Well, (laughs) That's what I heard.
2: Okay. You're gonna have to start wearing button down shirts again. But on the other hand, (laughs) at least you can be satisfied that you're not the only guy who got it wrong. There's also Janet Yellen, who's not a guy, but you see what I mean?
0: I'll just get a haircut. We're joined on this episode by Lars Carlson, Global Head of Trade and Customs Consulting at Maersk. If his voice sounds familiar, it's a reason for it. This is his second appearance on Trades Planning. Lars first joined us back in November of 2021. If you're interested to hear more about Lars, his work, as well as the interview itself, please check out episode 23 of the podcast to hear more. And so with that, we'll jump right into the interview. So Lars, thanks for joining us once again. First question, let's just jump into it. So we've been talking a lot on the podcast about supply chain issues since 2020, more or less, from rising rates, or lack of containers, and retiring supply chain managers, funnily enough. Is this all real? Well, I mean, what are you seeing out there? Is this just ink being spilled to, to generate likes or clicks, or is this a real thing?
3: No, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me back. We had a great time last time and a lot of things have happened since then. So it's great to be back on. And you're absolutely right that this supply chain disturbance issue and what is happening right now, it's really real. It's not something that somebody invented or, or, or dreamed about. We see it every day with our customers. We see it ourselves. And what it really is about is that people talk about a new normal or post-COVID or post-pandemic whatever. There is no such thing. This is the reality right now. And it will continue like this with different type of of crises and disturbance on top of each other. And the way we see it is really that these are multiple things that it's added on to each other. And some of them are the ones you mentioned, but there are others as well And actually, my area and our area on customs and borders is is another one. It didn't matter as much before when everything was moving well. But when you have a disturbance already through the supply chain, then, of course, adding on if you don't have your HS classification right or your permits in order or whatever it is, it's multiplying the delays and multiplying the queues and the ports and airports, which are congested. So it's a real thing. It's there. It will not go away. There will be new crisis coming along. It's really about planning it better.
0: So there's something to be worried about, unfortunately. In a slightly different twist, the last couple of weeks and months, we've heard more about backups, for instance. So we had heard a lot about the West Coast not, not just a few months ago only, but now we're hearing about backups in Shanghai and how people are already talking about the ramifications this will have in the months ahead. How important is this? Do do I need to get a new couch?
3: I, I think that we, we will see this ripple effect on the supply chain for these type of things happening, as I said before as well. It is a real thing, and there are, there will be new things coming along we haven't seen yet, right? But there are things you can do about it as well. So it's really about looking to your own supply chains or whoever provider of your couch you actually have, right? if they have it in order or not. And those who do not will have a problem because you already see it now when you as a citizen are ordering stuff, right? Somebody says two weeks, another one says you will get it in December. And, and that is really how they have planned their supply chain. So yes, there are things happening in Shanghai. And I think there, there are things happening all around the supply chain. Looking into ourselves, we are trying to do what we can to help customers. We are trying to increase the space, increase different type of transport modes, and in different type, get the capacity up. But adding on to that, as I said before as well, people can get their act in order, knowing what they do, learn better, get better competence to actually handle those complications and do things right from the beginning. It's not impossible to actually get your goods in order, your data in order, your documentation in order to at least avoid some of the risks you have of getting delays. If you are an exporter, export, export importer, or you're a private citizen just ordering stuff on the internet, you know, there are still ways you can actually make sure that the risks are low and, and you are not sitting in your, your living room without a couch when it comes to Christmas.
0: Yeah, it'll be an Ikea couch. So for all the it's, Swedish sponsors course. out there. They
3: always deliver on time. <laughs>
0: Do you think, I mean, we've also read reports, I don't know how much insight you have on this or Maersk would have on this, but we've heard reports about how just-in-time is made way for just-in-case. So we've heard importers having wanting to make sure they have stock for the next three to six months rather than a couple of days or weeks. Is that something that we're already seeing or you're already seeing?
3: No, it's it's real as well. I think it's also very clear when we saw on the on the reception network and think tanks we a part of, I personally as well, that the beginning of the pandemic pandemic, there was clearly a discussion around stockpiling, warehousing, local sourcing, all of those things. But it's not so easy to actually change your supply chain or getting local delivery again or getting production nearer to you to your, your own markets than, than it sounds like. So what we have seen is more a combination of the two. So it's just in time and just in case. So you're not putting all your cards on the table and only having sold sourcing with one, with one simple single solution. So you basically need a plan B as well. But it's, it's, it's really forcing the, the, the mega trends we've seen since before and the trading patterns. And of course, there's a little bit more of, of space needed in warehousing in, to some extent, stockpiling. But it's also been supply chains and value chain has been so optimized during the last five, six, seven, eight years, as you guys know. And that means that it's not so easy to actually add on days there. We're actually cutting days through the supply chain, even during these circumstances. So we do know from fulfillment center uh, strategies, from different type of e-commerce and postal changes and parcelization trade, that it's more about b 2 b to c than B2C these days and how can we interact the different players that actually is moving the goods. We know that for four to five years, and we've looked at this specifically, we need to double the warehouse space. Capacity in the world because of these new things. But it's basically more of the same, rather totally changed strategies as you were talking about. So we will not go back to only local sourcing or regional sourcing anymore. Those days are gone way beyond point of no return. But I do think that we will see, you know, trade lanes trusted trade lanes, trade superhighways with one or two alternatives to the best alternative for your supply chain. So there's a plan B when something goes wrong, when their container ship is uh, stuck in the sand or whatever it might be, because these things, these black swans will appear again.
0: And I mean, th- that leads me to, to think what does this mean for consumers at the end of the day? So we've been sort of, I don't want to say brainwashed, but we've been taught into thinking that efficiency at all costs is the goal. But what you're describing sounds like it will add or has already added more time complexity and and essentially cost to the shippers and people getting the goods across these supply chains. So is this something that companies are already sort of building into their, their cost centers and then I would imagine they're passing those on to consumers or will have passed them on, inflation notwithstanding.
3: Yeah, we do see that, unfortunately. But I also think it is a, a, a temporary, in one way, a temporary change from where we were, where the system were transaction-based, built the borders again, were built 40 years ago, right, for transactions. And we are not there anymore possible to, to handle these things in the future in the same way. So one way we see some ripple effects that are temporary because we have to change the systems if, if that's the right word for it. And we do see that transport costs have obviously gone up and space there's a lack of space for the moment that will be adjusted to some extent and then price will stabilize and go down again. But it's also a matter of seeing our many of our customers, big customers specifically, they are saying we will go away from the lowest cost alternative because at the end of the day it's not predictable or resilient enough. We want to work with people who share our vision, who have the same view on, 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 on compliance, on resilience and predictability as we have and want to work more with a number of partners over time. So I think what we will see as consumers as well is that you will be you have to choose your, your partners better, you have to choose your, your deliverer better, and you will find that out, again, as I said before, somebody delivers in two weeks or two days, another one delivers the same product in eight months, and you will not use that one with eight months anymore. You will actually, in that way, adjust things. But there's always a risk, of course, when costs goes up. That really will also, at the end of the day, be costs going up for, for normal consumers and buyers. But I also think that a new, what I call global trade 2.0, right, which is coming now, is also a possibility to include new, new parts of the world in production that wasn't there before. And I think that emerging economies, some of them, a chance of taking a leap here and being a part of that fulfillment type of hub system that is now emerging. And that can bring down costs to a reasonable level again. So I think there's hope as well. But for a period of time, we will see more disturbance and also some of these challenges coming along.
0: I mean, all this talk of supply chains really leads us to the most serious, most pressing question, which is how has the supply chain crisis affected FC Malmo? So we know we've heard a lot oh, about we've heard a lot <laughs> about FC Malmo, but Rob here wants to know, and he wrote this, not me. What about MC Hammerby? And I believe the boomer in him is referring to FC Hammersby and not uh, MC Hammer. But we also understand that Malmo can't touch this is that true
3: no i know that song as well but we have a different song there mama will always be the best team of of, of sweden there's no doubt about it Hammarby won one title we have 22 yeah it's it's a it's no competition but of course it's impacted us
0: i am neutral when it comes to swedish football But I will say that Malmo may be the best team, but MC Hammersby definitely has the best intro music. Has the best (laughs) (laughs) team. Okay, so final question. What about, what's your favorite character on Vikings? Because uh, me and Rob were talking about this. Between Vikings... Vikings, Valhalla, The Last Kingdom, Norsemen, The Foreigners, Real Vikings, Vicky the Vikings, and of course the Minnesota Vikings. Are we seeing a supply chain glut full of shows about Scandinavians? Sounds like inflation. I I hope so.
3: And of course, they are 99% correct, all of them. Historically, 100% almost real. Now, my favorite Viking, I I have a weakness for Ragnar Lodbrok. I think he's the original one. He was really good. But my real favorite, to be honest, is actually Leif Erikson from, from. Vikings Valhalla the last series because he was an explorer he, he was a, a traveler like me I've, I've traveled to more countries than him but I've kind of also discovered the US just like he did and uh, well maybe a little bit later I was there but at least I'm planning to go back to New Jersey I know you guys are really happy to hear that because I want to want to have a tete-a-tete and a meeting with, with Bruce soon because I do really good records soon. so <laughs> I think that you know I will, I, will, I will go for Leif Erikson as my favorite Viking
0: Rob is not here so I guess it, it's okay for me to say it but he's actually not a Bruce Springsteen fan which was kind of a shock it's incredible
3: how can you live there not being Bruce Springsteen he's sort of a hate
0: love thing for me because I'm technically I'm from New York but as most listeners and most people, maybe most people don't know, but Staten Island does have a lot of Jersey at heart. So we are kind of bridge and tunnel since we're so close. So we kind of all like Bruce Springsteen. But anyway, Rob's not here. That's not, (laughs) he doesn't get to decide. We won't ask you about kebabs. I think we'll leave the interview here and our listeners, I'm sure, will be excited to to hear what you had to say. So we're happy to have you on and thanks once again for, for joining us.
3: Anytime. Thank you so much. Great pleasure.
2: That brings us to our segment called, what are they saying about the end of globalization now, Michelle? Is globalization really dead?
1: Thank you, Rob. Well, I don't think globalization is dead, but some people definitely want it to be dead, especially this small group of people online, because of course they have to be online, who say that recessions are good, actually. What they're doing is just advocating for a recession, not like the ones we've seen before, but even worse. The perspective is that after a big recession, everyone would be allowed to start over on the same level, meaning our generation could afford a house, a dog, et cetera, et cetera, all that stuff that we saw previous generations growing up with. Or if stuff gets really, really bad, maybe we can all grow our own food in our pretty little cottages, et cetera, et cetera. It's all super aesthetic. So first of all, what do you think? Do you think this is a plausible idea?
0: I'm pretty sure that first thing you just described was the The synopsis for The Purge. There's also a thing called revolution. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's what it sounded like. It also causes like what is called a big recession. We can't afford a house, so we'll just kill everybody and start over from scratch again.
1: (laughs) Well, exactly. That's exactly my point, because obviously you can say, well, these people haven't gone through a recession. Uh, They don't really know what it's like. But it's kind of interesting how, in my opinion, this isn't really that they don't understand the consequences. It's more that they just want a full reset button for the economy and the world and everything that's going wrong with it. So the difference is that they're doing kind of a semi-logical argument through the existing economic structures. So it's not really like 10 years ago when everybody was randomly hoping for a zombie apocalypse. But it's not that different either. I think
2: perhaps more importantly, Michelle, is this the vibe shift?
1: Well, the vibe shift would be coming with the recession. I think that's the the general idea. But it's kind of the same as Doomsday Prepper or pretty much every other guy who on, on Tinder who's a little bit too into the armed uprising of uh, the proletariat.
0: He usually has Bitcoin. Is that a euphemism? He's invested in crypto. Yeah, definitely. Like, we don't need government. We just need our crypto. We're sorry, Tinder guys. I'm not sorry. Keep listening. Sorry, not sorry. But also please keep listening. (laughs) On a serious note, I think in principle, recessions are a normal part of the economic cycle. I think if I look at the last 10 years, I think it's a fair point in some weird way. now I'm not in my basement typing on this on Reddit, but I think it is a kind of a fair point to make that millennials or Gen Z haven't had their chance or their shot, sort of their economic shot. So home prices are going up. My brother had said this actually, I think I mentioned this a couple episodes ago where he can't even look at affording a house in New York, at the moment at least, because prices have just gone astronomically high. And that's because we've had, this is not my rant on sort of free money from the treasury and, and central banks and things like this, but it kind of is. So they do have a point. I just don't think armed insurrection or the purges uh, every so couple of years are, are really the answer. Sorry, Ethan Hawke. But I mean, kind of what we
2: talked about many episodes ago with Thomas Piketty and economic study of when there's economic equality. When do people get more equal, not less equal? And that happens during wars, during pandemics, and during natural disasters, during huge shocks. So and I you, think- You're
0: not selling this, right? <laughs> so I think this is
2: basically a <laughs> Well, we a just came
1: of... <laughs> out of a pandemic though. You would think yeah, people even... would be like, okay, this happened, now we're gonna be more chill, but no.
0: Well, Netflix is down a gajillion percent, so I'm it's not happening. Sure. I'm not sure it made people more equal with Elon Musk even he's too poor to buy Twitter now. That's how you know the vibe shifting is happening. <laughs> the vibe, shifting.
1: The vibe shift shifting. thermometer is Elon Musk.
2: Okay, so we'll wait until our next episode when Michelle will tell us once again whether globalization has died. Tune in for the vibe shift. <laughs> okay, folks, the fun part of the broadcast is over. Now we're going to the This Week in Local news segment. You wouldn't believe it unless you lived in Geneva or anywhere else. So there's a couple of uh, important critical news updates that we wanted to share with you. But I think there's some breaking news. I see Michelle with her hand up here. Michelle?
1: Yes, I have some super important breaking news that have just come in. Three mysterious trees have appeared in the Parc Bertrand in Geneva. That's two Myco coulier and one Chinese metasequoia trees that were just illegally planted there last week by some criminal. The city is asking them to come forward as soon as possible.
2: What could have possibly possessed them to do such a thing? Random tree planting.
1: Are are, are you trying to get me to admit that I'm the random tree planter? Are you
2: the guy? (laughs) This has got to (laughs) stop. Michael Buble has a family, people. (laughs) Was there a message on the trees?
1: Yes. So in front of those trees, the city of Geneva has planted a little piece of paper that says that the authors of this planting should call them, basically, and tell them what's going on because they clearly have no idea. It's important to note that the city of Geneva is not going to prosecute them or anything. They just want to establish a dialogue with these mysterious tree planters.
2: Yeah, that's what they always say. Eco-terrorists. This Mm. is exactly what they always say. Eco-terrorists. That's what they are. Can you keep an eye on that, please, Michelle? That could be something to do with globalization. If it's a Chinese tree, I'm already a little suspicious.
1: Exactly. Globalization is not over. The mysterious tree planters <laughs> in Geneva are keeping it going.
2: So the the another important point that I think we must make is that Geneva has had a very proud day. We had a motorcycle gang rumble where the Hells Angels, who normally control Geneva, I'm told, had to shoot at members of the Bandidos, another big uh, gang, I'm not making this up, who decided to hang out in a local bistro. <laughs> so nobody was hurt, thankfully And apparently, as I understand it They were arguing over who gets to come and see their private banker
0: <laughs> I, This is the first time I'm hearing this I didn't know this is where you were going with it But yeah, I believe it And um, also sure, shooting
2: up, a, shooting up a bistro is bad But many of the comments on the story also commented on the fact that The big risk is you better not park your bike on the sidewalk Or you're going to get a massive fine Worse than planting a tree
0: I feel like if Sons of Anarchy was shot in Switzerland, this would be probably an episode. <laughs> like you parked on the street, you got fined. Now you gotta go make <laughs> make a side hustle somewhere by selling some some beef. Planting trees. Yeah, <laughs> planting trees as retribution against the the cops who don't have guns. <laughs> yeah, you're selling like uh, a noir or uh, bootleg cigarettes. But who calls themselves the banditos? Is it like, uh, I've got thoughts, but I don't know if I should be don't so, it's apparently it's another guy. it's like hell's angels but, which of course is also negative on both angels and hell you, you know what i'm sure how they break the law they probably go two miles over the speed limit because it's 120 on the highway <laughs> and that's like how they you know while playing bad to the bone <laughs> <laughs> so that's the end of local news banditos stay away from my house
2: speaking of inflation you know what's going to be
0: really expensive fixing my broken phone not if you had case folklore what's case folklore So Case Folklore is a free customizable case that you can buy for your phone and not break it like you do, Rob. So listeners out there, don't be like Rob and go pick up a customized case by checking out their Instagram page at Case Folklore and using the promo code explaining at checkout.
2: Well, folks, that about wraps up episode 33 brought to you by Exhausted Supply Chain Managers, ESG, ESG. And, of
0: course, the mad tree planters of Geneva and their Chinese sequoias. We also want to thank our executive producer and special correspondent, Michelle Oguin, as well as Valentina Sapanara, for helping to produce this episode. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. Make sure you catch our next episode coming out very, very soon. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or this is for Rob specifically. You can find us anywhere you get your podcast. Like Netflix. Like Netflix, maybe. And also, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. They do help, and we know you have the time. You can also follow us on Twitter at Tradesplaining or on Instagram at trade.splaining or email us your questions, comments, the old-fashioned way at trade.splaining at gmail.com. Once again, that's trade.splaining at gmail.com. And remember, folks, listen responsibly. Free Michael Buble.